We've been studying the book of Acts and exploring the path that the gospel took on its way to reaching the world. And uh, it's, it's a pretty, uh, I, I appreciate uh, something that Wayne said last week toward the end about when you are so familiar with something and you are so familiar with a story uh, like the story that is told in the book of Acts, it is easy to uh, overlook the dynamic nature of what's actually happening. And the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ going out into the world for the first time. Um, so let's, again, just sum things up really quick. Uh, the disciples were told to wait uh, for what God has promised, so they waited. The Holy Spirit arrived with uh, great wind and tongues of fire. Uh, it was such an event that even though the apostles and company were in this upper room of this place, it drew people out to see and to understand what was going on. Uh, they were looking for an explanation, and what they found was the apostles and others speaking in all of the languages, at least, that were represented there that day. The Holy Spirit gave the apostles the gift of proclamation. They had the words to tell others the truth of the gospel, what, what God had been doing, who Jesus is, and how they should respond to these ideas. So Peter stood up and became the first mouthpiece of the gospel. He explained that the events that they were experiencing at that time, the Holy Spirit coming and being poured out, that these things have been prophesied about way back uh, in the time of Joel. He explained how the coming of Jesus had been spoken about throughout Scripture, and he told them that Jesus, the one they had crucified, is Messiah, Redeemer, and Lord. And the crowd responded to this news by saying, what then should we do? If this is true, then what do we do? And so Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God was calling, and people picked up the phone. And that day, 3,000 people responded. So we're seeing this dynamic movement that people are hearing the message of the gospel and they are responding to the message. But as we said last week, this group now that is committed to Jesus, they don't know how to be a community that is centered around Jesus. You know why? Because that community does not yet exist. So they are figuring it out as they go. And they met together daily. They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to worship. They were guided by the Holy Spirit into what they should be, and they were truly a unique group in the way that they cared for one another, even selling some of their possessions to help care for others who had needs. So in a lot of ways, the start to this movement was pretty uh, miraculous and idyllic in the way that it came across. I mean, you couldn't really ask for a better start than this, right? That all these people are, are hearing the gospel and responding and that, that their numbers are growing daily. And a question that 
if we were in their shoes at that place in time, we might have asked would be, is this what this is going to be like? Because if so, this rocks, right? Like people are hearing the gospel and responding. And if this is what this is going to be like, if this is what taking the gospel to the world is going to be like, then we are going to take over the world in a month. But the apostles, we have to consider for a moment how different that experience they were having was from the experience they had with Jesus. Because when they were traveling around with Jesus, uh, certainly there were crowds and people coming around and you know thousands of people and all of this stuff, but what else did they experience? Tremendous backlash and opposition. I mean, so much so that you may remember this part of the story. Jesus was crucified. So what they are experiencing, strangely enough, without Jesus is going so well, they had to be wondering, these apostles, where's the catch? (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. So the question that we now have to ask as we explore this story is, what is going to happen as the gospel continues to go out? We've seen this tremendously positive reaction. We have seen these people come and, 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 and people who remember didn't believe in Jesus come to a belief and understanding of Jesus. So what's going to happen is this goes out into the world. Well, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 3, which is a pretty logical place to start after Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. And began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So here's the deal the events of these past few days have put this new group of Christians in the heart of the national religious life of the Jewish people. Not only were they still based out of the city of Jerusalem, which is the capital, but they were meeting in the temple, the place that had always been their house of worship. The temple was the place they had always gone to to connect with God, and in their minds, that didn't have to stop simply because Jesus was Lord. 
The main difference, of course, was that they were going to the temple not just to worship their God, but to celebrate their salvation through Jesus. Now, here's where we have to reset our brains a little bit, folks, because um, we sometimes incorrectly view this period of time as Jews versus Christians. That is an incorrect reading. The tension throughout the book of Acts is not between Jews and Christians. It is between those who believe in Jesus and those who, not, who do not, regardless of where they are from or what their nationality is. The gospel is going out into the world to unbelievers. And again, we cannot forget that the entirety of the first church was Jewish. They were all Jewish to start. They did not believe, nor had they ever been told by Jesus or the Holy Spirit that they had to stop being Jewish in order to be Christian. Christianity was very much a continuation of what God had been doing through his people. And you see that message repeated over and over again in these first gospel presentations that go out. So the gospel then was being preached as a fulfillment of the promises of God to those who the promises were first made, the people of Israel. It was a fulfillment of God's promise to them, but there was still tension, even though this was the case. Loyal Jews had insisted, remember, on the death of Jesus because in their eyes, his message went against their own. He was a false teacher and threat. So think about how crazy of a situation this is. Okay? Jesus, who has, who, who preached and taught and, and drew great backlash from Jewish leaders and those who ran the temple, has died and is raised again. And you have people coming in to your temple to preach that Jesus is the risen Lord, the one that you killed is the risen Lord. And they're going about their business in the temple as if nothing is different. I, I, it, it's, so, it, it's so weird. <laughs> it really kind of is. It, it's, not, it's not weird that they felt like they should be there because they should be there. But, but the tension that must have been building, must have been building. It, it, it must have been happening. Like this, this, whole, this whole dynamic being developed. So Peter and John were on their way to the temple for three o'clock prayer. Because this is what you do and how you worship God. And there was a beggar at the gates who had been lame since birth. Uh, the man did what everyone at that time who was totally dependent and helpless had to do. He was there begging and asking for a handout. Now, there were really not any other options for him, so he relied on these handouts in order to survive, to have food and, and maybe a place to live. Uh, so he asked Peter and John for money. Now, if you notice this in the account, he's asked Peter and John for money. Peter and John look at him, but the man has already moved on because he's just hitting everybody that walks through the gates. So he asked them for money. What he got was something way more substantial. So Peter and John, they get his attention, 
And he turns to them because now he thinks they're going to give me money. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He reached out his hand and pulled the man up. And instantly, this is one of my favorite lines in the Bible because it illustrates something that we don't think about. Instantly, his ankle and feet became strong. These type of moments are some that I think that we fail to fully appreciate in our reading of Scripture. We hear healing in our minds, and in our minds, it's like that, and it's over. But consider that in order for this man to be able to walk, he was lame since when? Birth, which means the muscles in his legs never developed, ever. I mean, they're there, but you've seen someone, right, who is whose legs, you know, if they've been uh, lame for a long time, like the, the muscles atrophy, they just don't. And this guy has been lame since birth, and there's really not physical therapy at the time. Okay? So here's what happens. Peter, re- and I wonder what this guy was thinking. Peter reaches down to pull him up, and from the time he gets from seating to standing, his muscles have regrown. Isn't that crazy? His his legs literally change shape. And the tendons and and the muscles and all of those things develop and it's like it's like Popeye with spinach or something like you know it's just it happens. It's an astounding moment. And not only does the man then pop up to his feet, he starts jumping. Because he's never jumped before. The man's never even stood before. It is an astounding moment when this happens. Now, here's why this part of the story is so important for us, right? It should sort of ring a bell. Doesn't this kind of moment sound familiar? Who does it remind you of? Jesus, right? This kind of stuff happened with Jesus all the time. And maybe the first story that pops in your mind is the story from John chapter 9 about the man who was born blind. And Jesus gives him sight for the first time. In Luke's gospel, uh, we see that the message of Jesus is related to his power to heal. The community has this same power to offer the world. They can do, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same things that Jesus was able to do. And this is what begins to set them apart from everyone else because you see here is a community which does not simply offering does not simply offer suffering people a word of sympathy this community possesses the same power that Jesus had to heal and change someone's life things are happening with them When Jesus was asked about the authenticity of his own mission, he responded by citing the evidence that that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. From Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus says, these are the things that show you that my ministry is from God. When, when he sent out uh, the 70 in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, they returned with joy because, and, and saying to everyone, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so this, 
This power, this, this, this dynamic nature is, is carrying out through the ministry of this first church. And you know what they don't have is money. They don't have silver or gold. Instead, they have something that is so much more valuable. They have the power to heal in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and evidence of this power draws wonder and amazement from everyone who sees it. It is so important that this new group of Christ followers show that they are tied to Jesus, not only in word, but in power. Their message is Jesus. Their words reflect the teachings of Jesus. And they have the same power that Jesus displayed when he was here on earth. And all of this is so important because it gives their message validity. How do we know that you're telling the truth? Well, they just made a man that was lame from birth walk. Seems pretty legit. Peter went to great lengths to, to make sure that everyone understood that the power for this was not done through his own power, but by the name of Jesus. Remember what he said to the man who was lame. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The name of Jesus, this, and this is something for us to, to kind of, I, I want you to think about this concept here, okay? The name of Jesus is the direct link between the living and active Lord in heaven and his community on earth. They can do things under the power of his name. And speaking his name into situations can change a lot. It is under his name that the sick are healed, that miracles take place, and that sins are forgiven. At baptism, this is the name that is laid upon each Christian. The name is invoked as the authority for the disciples' teaching and preaching. This is the name for which believers are ready to die. And in this name, Jesus is present along with his saving power to the degree that Peter can simply say, Jesus Christ heals you and it happens. So what does that tell us? The name of Jesus is powerful. Church, the name of Jesus is powerful. So what becomes really important about this scene is now what Peter is going to do. Now that people are seeing this man who was uh, born lame, walking, and, and jumping, and praising God, what is Peter going to do with this moment? Well, what is, what is it that God wants them to do at all times? Proclaim the gospel. So Peter's going to proclaim the gospel. Let's start in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, I love that, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So again, they're in the temple. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had de decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you, 
You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So what did Peter do? He preached the gospel. The whole point of all of this, again, is proclamation. The word must go out. And just as the coming of the Holy Spirit drew a crowd that led to the gospel being proclaimed, so too this healing led to a crowd gathering. And Peter is not going to let a good crowd go to waste. In fact, the people came running to see what was going on. Now, what kind of message does he have for them? It's not a warm and fuzzy gospel. It's not, God loves you so much. God loves you as you are. It's not even, Jesus died to save you from your sin. You don't hear any of that, do you? No, it's not there. His message instead was very blunt and straightforward. First thing, why are you so surprised? Well, he can walk. Yeah, but you shouldn't be surprised. It is God, our God, your God, who glorified Jesus and gave us this power. Now, so he gets that out there, but then what does he do? You killed him, by the way. You killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead. And those who follow Jesus are witnesses to all of this. Not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that you killed him. But Jesus is not dead. And the power of God is being poured out on his community. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. It's plain what's happening here. It's plain that Jesus Christ changes people's lives. Do you want him to change yours too? If you do, then there are steps you can take to make that happen. One of my favorite lines from this particular sermon is, look, I can accept that you acted out of ignorance. You just didn't know any better. But now is your chance. Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who's appointed for you, even Jesus. 
He went on to talk about Moses and Samuel and all the prophets, how all the prophets from Samuel on proclaimed the truth that was embodied in Jesus Christ. And then he, he draws a line in the sand. In verses 22 and 23, he says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Okay, them there are fighting words. No, they really are. Because do you get what he's saying? God has done all of this through Jesus. You killed Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. God is calling to you now to repent, to to realize that you have made a mistake and that you want to turn your life around and follow Jesus. But make no mistake about it. This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. And if you don't choose this, you are cutting yourself off from the people of God. You no longer get the luxury of choosing to still be the people of God while just rejecting Jesus. This is what God is doing. So get on board if you want to continue being the people of God. How do we feel about these messages? Number one, and I just want to make this really clear, God, Peter, Jesus, they don't hate Jewish people. Are we, we're clear about that. This is not an anti-Semitic message in any way, shape, or form. You with me? Because this message is true whether you were Jewish or not. He was speaking to Jewish people who already knew what it was like to be the people of God. And trying to, trying to get them to want to stay <laughs> as the people of God. So there is nothing anti-Jewish about this. Okay? We see that it's a pretty bold message. And that, that Peter is not pulling any, any punches. In fact, we see that the message is downright confrontational. Particularly in that time and place, which, you know, sometimes we worry about difficult circumstances when talking to people about Jesus. I just want to reiterate, there is no more difficult place to speak about Jesus than in the temple of the people who killed him, right? Like, when they say, you killed Jesus, they are literally talking to people who were a part of the scene when Jesus died. So... (laughs) What do we learn from this story? We learn a couple of things that I think I don't have all the answers to, um, but they are driving me into some specific avenues of prayer for my life and for this church. So maybe you're going to want to join me in this. Our movement is one that is based on the power of God. And not in some abstract sort of way, but on the legitimate, life-changing, healing power of God. And I, for one, believe 
that that power is still available to us today. Do I mean that we should go around trying to heal lame people? No, that's not what I mean. And I'm not even talking about whether that kind of thing can happen anymore. Because the problem with that discussion, you see, is that once we start down that road, we are trying to explain why the power of God is not manifest in our lives in that way. And the moment we start doing that, we stop exploring how the power of God can be manifest in our lives. So let's not even try to answer that question because it's pointless. You understand? What we want, then, is to understand how we are drastically, perhaps, underselling the power of God in our lives and in what we have to say to others. Do we act as those who have no power at all? Do we apologize for the gospel? Instead of believing that the gospel is the manifestation of the power of God and that when we introduce someone to Jesus, we are introducing them to a life-changing redeemer. The gospel is the power of God, a power which elicits healing for some, astonishment for others, anger from those whose interests are threatened by this new power that is set loose in the world. And we also see that the gospel is confrontational. Jesus told us this, right? He said this, that it's going to drive, you know, daughter from mother, father, it's going to separate families, you know, all this different stuff. So Jesus knew that, that it was going to be confrontational. But there's, you know, when we've, we talk about the gospel, we do wonder, church, like, well, how confrontational should the gospel be when we put it out there? Because we don't want to particularly be confrontational. So there's something I want you to note about what it is that Peter delivers and how it is confrontational. He doesn't say, Janice, you're a liar. And because you're such a liar, you need Jesus. And Samantha, I saw you giving someone dirty looks. And because you give people dirty looks, you need Jesus. And Brian, we're not even going to talk about you. But you need Jesus also. He doesn't do that. You notice that? Like, he's not, he's not calling people out on what's wrong in their lives and telling them you have to change everything. He's not doing that because what is the battleground? The battleground is not you do this wrong and you need to change that. The battleground is, is Jesus your Lord or not? That's the battleground. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you willing to accept his power to change your life? You can either get on board with it or not. But that's, that's where this fight takes place, you see. That this is, this is where it is. Either you are with Jesus or, or you're not. And he pulls no punches that if you're with Jesus, 
then you have, I mean, those words that he said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come to the Lord. This is what happens when you engage in the power of Jesus Christ in your life, and you can choose to be a part of that or not. But we see that the message does have to be confrontational to a degree because what do people need to do? Repent. And what are they repenting of? This is the important part. What are they repenting of? That they didn't believe in Jesus. That they rejected him. That even took part in killing him. But now, they believe that God has raised him from the dead. And they will live their lives under the power of the risen Lord. It has to be confrontational because if it's going to lead people to repentance, then it has to convict them that there is some kind of change needed. And, and that conviction comes in knowing that they need Jesus. That they need his power, that they, they want to be part of the people of God. And then lastly, we see that there is an urgency for this gospel to go out. Like I said earlier, Peter's not going to let a good crowd go to waste. And I want to suggest that I think we have powerful stories to tell about what God is doing in our lives, and we don't tell them nearly enough. Because the powerful things that God is doing in your life might have the chance to draw a crowd, you see where you could then say, it is God who has done all of this for me. It is Jesus who allows me to live an empowered life. Wouldn't you like to live in this empowered life also? Because it's a bottom line of whether you are with him or whether you are not. So we see something that kind of deconstructs how we look at sharing the gospel with people a little bit, you know, honestly. Uh, we make it so complicated and and, and what we see here is that it's actually pretty simple. This is who Jesus is. This is why he's God's plan. This is what God has done through Jesus. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that too? I highly recommend it. Right? So what am I suggesting that maybe we pray about? I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but I want you to to maybe, uh, I'm going to put something out, maybe this week or next week. I want you to think about what kind of prayers you want to pray to help us engage the power of God in our lives more actively. Because, you know, we're already a good group of folks that love God and love each other. But don't you, don't you just get the sense that we might be underusing the power of God in our lives? And don't we want more of that? So let's go to God in prayer. Let's ask him to help us see and understand. And I mean, maybe we don't, maybe we don't yet pray for boldness, though I think at some point we need to. Uh, maybe, maybe we start just really simply, right, by just praying for well, what Jesus always used to say, you know, eyes that see and ears that hear. Maybe that's what we need first. 
to open up our eyes and ears to the power of God around us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is an overwhelming thought that you reach out to the world through us. But God, we see in this story just how important the gift of proclamation is. And uh, Father, that you had people that were willing to step up and, and say hard things. God, we want to be a people who are marked by your power in our lives. And I confess, God, that I don't, I don't know what that may look like or even necessarily how to access that power at times. I confess, God, that I do way too many things under my own power without even ever asking you. But God, we want to be people who are marked by your power, by your ability to change lives and change directions. So God, will you help us to have eyes that are able to see and ears that are able to hear that we can identify, Father, your power, which is all around us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and that gives us what we need to be your ambassadors here on earth. And may we never apologize for the gospel. But Father, may we boldly look for opportunities to share it. In Jesus' name, amen.